Welcome into 10 Questions with NBC10 Boston. We're at Primitive Boston with Gosner Cheryless. You grew up between here in Haiti, Massachusetts is where we are, in Haiti. Let's start with your upbringing. Grew up right outside the city here in Somerville. Um, growing up like many Haitian children, we were just going to school, get the right education, hopefully, if not a full scholarship, get enough grants to help you get through college. That's always the goal. Um, that was always the goal. Uh, family had big goals. You had to be a doctor or, or work in business. But to a lot of it, like many young black young boys around me, I was just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to figure out what's next for me. As a freshman, I was just playing basketball. In I, high school? In high school. Okay. I thought basketball was going to be what took me to the next level. Uh, many of my friends that were playing football, they kept asking me, do you want to play? Do you want to play? You know, growing up in a Haitian household, mm -hmm. we didn't know much about football. And they weren't, they were not football, big fans soccer. of it. Exactly. <laughs> they weren't big fans of it because of um, how brutal it was. Yeah. And over time, I remember the first time I went to camp, um, I made that whole decision within two days. It was one of these things, and I realized uh, for the next two weeks, all my friends were going to go away. Mm -hmm. I didn't have many friends to play with, to hang out with. And I kept, where are you guys going is that? We're going to camp, football camp in yeah. New Hampshire. I'm like, can I come? Like, yeah, you're going to have to sign. You're going to need a physical and everything. <laughs> right. So I could have got all that done within a couple of days. But the best part to it, that was my first football camp. I showed up with no blankets, no nothing. So I was freezing cold. But if there's one thing that I showed up with, though, it was my heart. Mm. Um, within the first couple of days through football practices, they put me on defensive end and tight end. Mm -hmm. It just came extremely natural to me. Um, playing basketball, I'd be fouled up by the first half. <laughs> and there are things that us doing on that football field. <laughs> You're I allowed to do it. For yeah, it. I was yeah. looking, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> this is home for me. And uh, I remember my first day everybody's like you have a chance i'm like you gotta just talk to make me play football mm -hmm. basketball was still my first love and um i just started doing it started playing with my friends and over time i just started getting a little bit better and i wasn't just getting better on the football field i started putting a little bit of work i started showing up early started working out a little bit um everything that i needed to make myself a better athlete mentally, physically, emotionally, I was willing to do it. If it was in the weight room, so be it. If it's in the classroom, I took the same approach to it all. And as as I kept doing it, I kept showing up, the result just uh, become more and more beautiful. Mm -hmm. And over time, then I realized, oh, it's my path. That's what I wanted to do. That's how I wanted to make a career. And um, it never let me down up to this point. So off camera, we were talking a little bit about your recruiting journey. And you said that was probably the first time where you realized, like, this could be it when you got that first oh, scholarship. Absolutely. It was, um, I think it was junior year, right after basketball season. We had a couple of weeks off. I mean, after football season, we were getting ready for basketball season. Um, some of the guys were just in the gym, working out, shooting around. We were still sore from football, so I was just laying around, just being a jock, you know, just being around the guys, cracking jokes. And I saw that gentleman walking up to me. He had an olive green jumpsuit. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? What's he doing here? And I, you know, turned my back to him, and he walked up to me. I'll never forget. It was like yesterday. His name was Jeff Stoutland. He was from uh, Michigan State. And I remember he said, gosh, my name is Coach Jeff Stoutland. I'm the offensive line coach from Michigan State. 
I have a full scholarship for you. I just started laughing. Growing up in Somerville, you don't hear these stories. Yeah. You don't hear none of it. Um, the whole time that I was doing sport, even though, even though I thought I had a chance, I was good. But when you hear people outside and those, even folks you thought had a chance who never made it, it's like, why me? Why me? But after that day, uh, when he offered me that scholarship, I started laughing. I didn't think he was for real. And my coach this was man's right probably behind looking him. at this kid like, like Yeah, no, my coach is right behind him. He said, gosh, just get up and you know, shake the man's hand. Yeah, right. This is for Be real. Respectful. I'm like, whoa. And I remember I shook the man's hand and I took that scholarship. I went home mm. and I sat there. I was going through it all. I read the whole thing word by word. And I'm like, holy moly, this is real. Uh, you know, my mother, my grandmother, we're extremely religious. Mm -hmm. We pray. And I remember that day we sat down, we all prayed together. And uh, my mother has her own prayers and my grandma has her own ways of praying. But I remember what I asked God that day and I told him, um, what's going on? This thing you got here in front of me, thank you. Um, I don't know what it is exactly. But if it's up to me to mess it up, it's not going to happen. And that's when I never look backwards. Um, from a basketball guy, it was hard for me to keep weight on. I start eating a little bit more to be heavier. Mm -hmm. um, my strength wasn't up to par with people playing my position. I got to the weight room. I was fully committed. There are so many people that came before me, so many great athletes, people that I loved to watch and looked up to. And when I ask why they didn't go anywhere, it's like they didn't have the grades, they didn't have this. And I didn't want to just spend my time on the football field and not taking care of, like, you know, the back end of it. Mm -hmm. Coming from where I come from, with our parents, the grades were a big part of it. So Class I came just, before football, exactly, sports right? activities. So yeah. I didn't want to leave no stones, like, unturned. So uh, even for my own personal gain and everything, to be fair to myself, like mm -hmm. I said, I went after it all physically emotionally uh, um and the results were beautiful you mentioned your faith how would you say like over the years obviously when you get decide to go to college and beyond that's kept you grounded growing up my mother every sunday we had to go to church mm -hmm. we had to be part of um uh you know our own community mm -hmm. um we had to serve give back faith uh walking hand in hand with the man upstairs it's a big part of my journey mm -hmm. when you grow up around here you've seen so many people that look like you um for whatever reason they didn't make it i can't just be arrogant enough to say i've made this whole journey on my own and i'll be the first to tell you how you, you know the saying it takes a village to raise mm -hmm. a child it really took a village to raise me to be to put this product in front of you in all ways and i listen to everyone who you told me i, I was not good enough to make it i listen to you you told me, hey, you could definitely gonna make it. I listened to you too. Mm. Uh, whatever All you tell me, feedback I, I had to. It was, uh, um, you can learn from all of it. Mm -hmm. And I used to tell people, I people sometimes look at me, my size, my height, and they think that's my special talent. No, when you walk into this jungle, which is what I call the football world, you're gonna meet lions, tigers, bears. I mean, on. Depending on the day, and those are not the just baddest. the mascots. Yes, yeah, I'm talking like real athletic yeah. folks who can give you the business. It depends on the day, but uh, um, well, who I am, who I was, 
I really want to establish myself and I want to look for my special talent. I don't want my special talent to be my height, my size, my everything. Mm -hmm. That was the given to a lot of us. I want my work ethic to be my special talent. I wanted to outwork you, outrun you, um, whatever it is. I wanted to do it longer. I wanted to do it faster. I didn't want to just show up to show up. I wanted to show up prepared. I wanted to put in the work before the work. And by the time I was done, uh, when I go home, these are works. I can, you know, sit on my couch, put my feet up, say, hey, um, I've given my all today. Mm -hmm. You know, I was proud of it. That's all you can ask for. That's so all you can ask for. Let's fast forward through high school. You get this, you know, offer from Michigan State. But then you decide on another school. How did that decision come into play? Um, BC was not always the first <laughs> uh, number one school. It wasn't always my top choice. Okay. If you grew Is up it, Was it a growing here, up in around the area? Here, you were yeah. like one of the last folks that would offer scholarship to. They didn't offer me right away. And this when, was BC's um, glory days. We exactly, have to put the, right? you know, but this was when people were really talking about BC. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't offer me a scholarship right away, which I was totally fine yeah. with. Um, my high school coach, though, he believed, you know, he was like, all right, they don't want to offer you. I bet you after this camp, they'll know who you are. Mm. And um, we booked a camp to do a little tour of the Midwest. And uh, we went to Indiana, Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa. Um, Man, it was, um, that's the camp. That week changed my life for good. So after these camps, people couldn't say anymore, you're from Massachusetts, we don't understand your type of football, your, your, or your way of playing football is not competitive enough. We went to camp in um, Iowa, there was Americans from all over the place. We were competing, I competed with some of the best, and I couldn't help, you know, my own against some mm -hmm. of the best in the country. We had a chance to compete at a high level. We had a kid by the name of Kim Millington who was the number one rated left tackle in the country. And here I was with just the three-star guy. I was not ranked, but I could care less, mm -hmm. you know. Um, he had left, I was right. Whatever, he did it, I did it. Whatever, I did, I did on the other side. And um, I remember at one point, it turned into O-line versus line. He was high-fiving mm -hmm. me, the fact that we were both winning. It was after that I took a look at my coach, and he looked at me and said, you still don't think you belong? Mm. It was after that, I'm like, okay, man, you know, I'm at home. And uh, the beauty part of this, by the time I was done with that camp, I think I had over 30, 40 more scholarships by the time I got home. Um, Miami, which was the number one school. The U? Uh, yeah, uh -huh. in the country at the time. When they heard what I was doing at Iowa for camp, they reached out. They you got recruited we, by the Yeah, they reached out. That's right real away. love right there. Yeah. <laughs> they sent us to, um, they actually asked me to um, come to Miami for camp. The next day, we, uh, we went there. I couldn't even go. Make a long story short, the old mayor of um, Somerville, mm -hmm. Joe Curtitoni. I remember the story like it was yesterday. He was getting married on June 28th, which was his birthday and mine. He was with me the day before. He went home and got married, and I thought I was coming home because I had no one to take me to Miami. Mm -hmm. After his wife said, I'll meet you in Miami, make sure you show up, because we gotta give him a chance to see you. Mm -hmm. You're talking about as the number one school in the country. It was one of these, I was tired, I was sore, but I was not gonna pass on the Absolutely opportunity. Not. So we showed up. We competed extremely hard and well. 
I don't want to tell you guys everything that <laughs> yeah. happened. But after I left, though, they respected Massachusetts football. I remember when I came back, and that's when BC offered me. Uh, it was I, I was being recruited by um, Coach Willis. And I remember one day, he said something in front of me. He said to, uh, to the BC guy, he's like, all right, this kid, you guys can either let him go over there you guys gonna keep him angry enough for every time he come home. So, yeah, no ACC matchups. <laughs> can offer him, get your team right so we can go over there together, mm -hmm. and he can help us beat him. Um, when they offered me a scholarship, at first I had my ego. You know, I was 17. Everyone's offering me, you know, tell me mm -hmm. I wasn't good enough, so I didn't want to go to BC right away. Part of the reason why I could have committed to BC early, it was, uh, you know, my mother had to work. And, you know, back then there was no cell phone. It was the house phone. Mm -hmm. All these coaches used to mm -hmm. call the house late. And um, it got to the point where it was getting extremely overwhelming, um, where we could have turned off that phone. It's like 9, 10 p.m. Coaches were calling. Did you get the letter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was talking to my coach. And I'm like, how do we make that stop? And he said, you're going to have to commit to someone. And the surest thing for me at that time was BC. Um, for who they were when it comes to offensive line, what they were doing, they were local. I had a chance to somewhat let my parents watch See me you. live yeah. play every Saturday, even though at first I didn't want to go to BC, but it was like an opportunity. I couldn't let my ego allow me to pass on. Yeah. So we went, we committed to BC, and um, it was probably one of the best decisions I could have made for myself. Yeah, I know you do not regret you your know, time I don't at regret BC. It at all, at <laughs> all. Even if I had some thoughts, you know, about the whole process back then, know who, where I am today, being part of this community, um, giving back, having my company here to everyone you walk into, look at us. There's mm -hmm. a BC alumnus somewhere doing what you're doing. Um, it could be in the social a minority world, I mean, all over the city. Mm -hmm. I could have not asked for a better school. And uh, I'll be forever indebted to that school. Draft day, right, to go back about that question. Most people want to go to New York, want to have a party. <laughs> You're going to die laughing. I didn't do anything. <laughs> was um, this I, intentionally? Yeah, or? it was intentionally. I just, because I saw so many stories. Guys have the biggest parties and they end up And they probably had so much debt after yeah, the, the day's loan. over. I didn't take no loan, no nothing. My agent gave me a little stipend. I was living off of that. Didn't borrow any suits? None, none. <laughs> On the day of... My mother said, should I go to work? I'm like, yep, go to work. I had an idea. Okay, that's what? Yeah, I'm like, we didn't want to draw any attention. I had a small idea of where I think I was going to get drafted. I think probably an hour before that, I left it. I went to pick her up. We literally just got home, sat on, you know, on her couch. I got the phone call. Funny thing is, I got I saw the phone call, right? Wait, so when you get the call, the name's not saved already, no, right? Because, no, you know, on no TV, names. they make it look like, oh, Bill Belichick's no, calling no, you. No, <laughs> Please don't tell me you ignored is, the phone call. No, I did okay. not. Um, I got the phone call. It was coming in. And I, it was a 313 number, right, from Detroit. I'm like, 313? I've never been to Detroit. <laughs> is it Michigan State again? Code. Yeah. <laughs> and back then, they didn't even read the Michigan caller ID. As I'm sounding like 313, you're going to die laughing. The only 313 I could think of, it was the Eminem movie. 313. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's Detroit calling. <laughs> At least you were able <laughs> to deduce what city was calling I you, know, though. But I knew someone was going to call. That's when I picked it up. And um, I mean, 
Ooh, it was um, it was one of the, it was the most beautiful phone call that I ever received it was from Matt Millen, mm. who told me at that time they drafted me as their 16 overall pick, but I think they traded back with Kansas City, who took another guy. Mm. So I was a 17 overall pick, and um, when I got to Detroit, uh, I mean that's all she wrote. Mm. And I just put my head down. It was a tough year, different. But that being said, I wouldn't change it for anything. Mm -hmm. um, we got to Detroit during the recession year, back in 07, doing Kwame Kilpatrick. Things were tough. Oh, yeah. Things were hard. But to be honest with you, I could have not asked for, for a better group of guys. You mm -hmm. talking, I had a chance to show up every day, work with a group of men. And I know it's easy for people to say that, for these type of words come out of people's mouth. More, these guys were true professionals. I'm talking guys who would get into the facility at five in the morning. Our first practice don't start till 7.30. Oh. And I'm talking to guys who are doing it the right way all the time. Don't touch the line, don't, accountability, um, togetherness. To be honest with you, growing up around it, I thought I had it all figured out until I got to that room, working with these guys to see how to prepare themselves, not just for the football field, but for life. One thing we talked off the camera as well is the fact that no matter what team you end up playing for, you're still a professional athlete. Absolutely. But a lot of people, they just see it as a team or a, you know, a specific unit versus like this individual is bringing a very highly enviable skill set to this game. So how did you approach your stops throughout the league as well? Um, as a young man in Detroit, I couldn't come in and we had a group of vets. I asked right away, what was my role? Mm -hmm. How could I better serve y'all? Which some hard-headed rookies don't well, do. Well, <laughs> that's the number one thing a lot of guys don't do, yeah. right? When you first get drafted, there's a reason why this team drafted. There's already a plan. You can show up here and say, hey, this is who I am adjusting me. Or you can walk up to a coach and say, hey, what's your plan for me? Let me see how I can fill in that role. From you filling that role, you can master it to the point where you put your own flair to it, your own ways of doing what's going to get you paid, get to the Pro Bowl, to the Hall of Fame. But it's like any other things in any other companies. You have to understand the role that once you're here for. So right away, I wanted to do my part as a young rookie. I wanted to serve. I wanted to be in a room, be seen, not heard. I didn't want to, uh, there are certain things that I want to control my work ethic. I didn't want anyone to tell me I need to work hard. These are some of the small things. If it was to run, I wanted to be in shape. Trying to do all the small things the right to at least give myself a fair chance to um, compete to succeed. And overall, it just started coming to me. Um, and, you know, too, in our world, when you start doing the right way, some of those guys in the room, they'll start picking you up, too, yep. started helping you out. And we all start pulling ourselves together, just work for one another. And um, the results were beautiful. Um, and after that, I worked myself up to somewhat be the number one rated tackle after five years in Detroit where one of the most humbling experiences that I've ever had was to sit back, see a whole bunch of um, billionaires bidding for your talent. Mm -hmm. I was extremely humbled by that. When you receive a phone call. Humbling in a good way or? In, in a good way, just to know I'm playing this sports for fun, right? Because I, I love it, I wanna have fun, but I do it well enough where Jerry Jones gave you a phone call and said, hey, I would like for you to be my right tackle. And Minnesota call, Miami call, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, because there are people who not 
um, receiving these phone calls, and it's not a downfall to a lot of them. When you played in that league for five years, you can't lie to no one. You know what I'm saying? You are what you put on tape. And it's hard to make it that long exactly. without being legit and anyway. Those guys who've been around for years, when they reached out to say, we want you to come be a part of our community, part of our team, you're doing something right. So these are some of the little memories I like to take with me. At least I somewhat uh, um, did it the right way. You know, I served the right way. So football was clearly a chapter of your life, but it's also opened the door to a ton of other things after life after football. Before we get into that, though, I do want to acknowledge we talked about BC and later in the fall, you're going to actually be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Cool. Um, How did that feel to get that call or email? What did they I'm send still up? A letter? Goosebumps. <laughs> I'm still getting goosebumps, as you can see. Um, with all these accolades that I just listed, being a first-round draft pick, that I felt like I could control it, you know what I'm saying? And being, um, receiving a second contract, all people bidding for your talent, I felt like these are positions that I put myself in. Uh, this is something I think I'm still trying to get a feel for it all. We're not there yet today. Yeah. I think on the day when it happens, we have a lot more to say, but this is a feeling I'm still trying to get a full understanding of. Well, congratulations. Thank That's a BC alum. I'm honored to be here. Appreciate you. Congratulate you. All right, let's get into why we're here. We're yep. at Primitive Boston. Give us a, a brief synopsis of how you got into the world of cannabis. Back in um, 2010, I blew my knee out. I shattered my whole kneecap. And um, when I went to Dr. Andrews trying to have my surgery, pretty much told my career was over. It was done. And uh, we did the surgery, but when I came back, I had to really depend on um, Toradols, Napacent to go through my day. I was into a lot of pain. It was a lot, a lot of pain. I was looking for ways to uh, um, help out. It was just tough. But one thing, though, which God doesn't give, um, uh, you know, <laughs> no pains. I forget this one. Uh, this but, toughest battles. Yeah, to yeah, the... yeah. yeah to strong <laughs> I know soldiers, where you're going with yeah. that one. <laughs> and I remember I was allergic to Percocets, oh. which was a blessing. Oh, okay. I didn't want to take it. Yeah. I was just, uh, they were trying to mix it up with um, Benadryl. I just couldn't do it, you know. And I remember one day I was in a lot of pain, and uh, we were just talking for alternative to somewhat, like, help out with it. I had a guy who um, broke his arm, went to see a doctor at, like, in South Africa. It was a primitive herbal, herbal doctor. And... Uh, he came back and everything was going well. I'm like, maybe I should go check that guy. I made the phone call. We went. And when I got there, he was way ahead of his time. I'm talking. He was trying to beat with ayahuasca. He was using um, cannabis. I saw him using cannabis oil to treat people with ALS. There was, like, so many parts of it. And he started teaching me a little bit about, like, the healthy part of cannabis and ways to do it. But because of... Um, you know, with the NFL at the time, I couldn't, you know, partake. We couldn't be a part of it. But I was hurting. I was struggling. Um, over time, with myself, Calvin, we started talking about we had a chance to somewhat be a part of this, understand how much we had opioids. We didn't, we didn't want to be a part of it. We took on this thing head on to see what we can do with it and how we can use it to better serve ourselves and our community. And um, I give it a lot a lot of these credits to my partners from Michigan as far as Rob and Calvin who took the initiative to somewhat uh, uh, 
uh, use cannabis as plant medicine to somewhat uh, changing the stigma uh, through education and innovation to help folks understand it's uh, cannabis is medicines, it's pharmaceutical. I've been involved from investment uh, or even from afar talking about cannabis, but the vision was, uh, I don't think myself and some of these uh, corporate partners we ever shared the same vision. Um, to a lot of people, they saw it as a business. But I'll, I've always said, cannabis for me, it's like feel the dreams to move. If you do it the right way, the right people will come. Because mm -hmm. I understood at that time the amount of folks this thing had a chance to serve, the amount of folks this chance had a, had a chance to somewhat uh, um, change their lives in a way. And we're not just talking about it. We here, we are reaching out to these folks, we're setting up those partnerships where we want to be a uh, um, part of, um, you know, that new storyline. And hopefully uh, with everything we're doing today with cannabis, we actually got a small, hopefully, partnership to use it to help with CTE research and um, all kind of um, other ways we can help support some of these guys who are retired, uh, struggling with opioids addiction. Mm, to have them transition to using cannabis instead or just to help them Well, rehab? we have a line called Primitive Performance, oh, okay. uh, which um, we've put our minds and money behind some of our researches where we work with a few companies that kind of use nanotechnology to make uh, um, CBD products that uh, that's pre-workouts, post-workout, and stuff to sleep where you can put it in your water. It's just like you take, um, you know, an opioid pill that dilutes into your blood. This thing does the same, but it doesn't just uh, uh, make you feel good. It helps you with rehydration. It helps. Uh, it's like liquid IV post-workout and recovery also. Okay. So the, there's a science, obviously, behind it, but there's also the education that it seems that you and your partnership group are really adamant on. One, you have three black men that are at the helm of the ownership of this group, but also the fact that there are still a lot of men that are incarcerated for marijuana possession. So how do you maybe mentally think about your vision while also knowing that you're helping educate, like the, I guess, getting rid of the stereotypes behind cannabis as well, which still very much exists? No, I, um, I totally agree, which is um, part of the reason my partner is and myself. We, we don't want to just talk about cannabis. We want to put our hard-earned cash behind it to support some of the researchers we're talking about, mm -hmm. to support some of the points we're making. We totally understand what's been going on, which is part of the reason why I chose to somewhat get involved fully. Um, coming in, myself, Calvin, we've been approached many times as far as being investors, and when you get into it, uh, um, the pictures didn't look good, the storyline, and we just didn't share the same vision. Um, especially around here, the moment this thing become le le you know, legal, mm -hmm. everyone you saw on the other side to own it, they didn't look like us, and they didn't go through the same struggles that we were going through, which I felt like was a little bit unfair, and I was hoping to somewhat uh, um, help gapping that bridge a little bit, because I totally understand uh, how that can look in the way, but the fact that myself, Calvin, and Rob Simmons, we get a chance to somewhat be part of that storyline on the other side of it. We wanted to somewhat deliver to the city council to see some of the promises that we made. It, being here where we are, the fact that we can 
create our own option and choices. We wanted to say it was really that hard to allow some of the black folks uh, to be part of this industry, to own, mm -hmm. to be their own boss, to be their own owner in a way. And to a lot of it, really, it's like any other business. We are well overqualified to run this, to do this. Um, we've been a part of this industry for years. We just have to take the politics out of it. Mm -hmm. We just have to hopefully um, open this up a little bit with the city, um, changing a couple of things to really allow some of these folks who really have big dreams, big aspirations, big teachers of this world, allow you know these folks to come in and somewhat help out a little bit, help bridging the gap, help people understand the benefits of um, uh, you know primitive wellness, uh, cannabis. It's medicine. It's a plant. You know if you understand which is where our name kind of come from in a way when you talk about primitive prime plant growing up um my house so we didn't do a lot of um pills or opioids but my grandma she had like 50 different type of teas depending mm -hmm. what's wrong with yeah. you yeah. and they do work and over time with the pharmaceutical world we kind of walk away from a lot of it and us being part of primitive serving being part of the plant knowing we realize no matter how far you go, everything comes from the plant. You know, it's all primitive. If you understand our community, opiate, it's a big part of it. Now, we have a chance to use it to serve us, and we're being shy away from it. Why? Because we don't know enough. Or we don't have enough folks on the other side who see uh, 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 the pharmaceutical part of it, who just think it's the corporate, it's about money, money, money. No, like I said earlier, I, I'm a strong believer this is one of these things. If you do it the right way, the right people will come. Perfect. Well, right. thank you so much no, for joining you. us on 10 Questions with NBC 10 Boston. No, thank you. Appreciate thank, your time. Thank you so much for your time.